Hey everyone, welcome to the Mass Construction Show. With today's guest, Rob Carson of Delbrook JKS, Jason Edick of Lee Kennedy Company, and Doug LaPlante of Turner Construction Company. I'm leaving off their titles for brevity, but I'll have their full LinkedIn profiles in the show notes so you can look them up. I'm your host, Joe Kelly, and this is the podcast about all things construction in Massachusetts and beyond. In this episode, we have a roundtable discussion with senior safety and risk managers on how they are managing COVID-19 safety on their current projects. Then we will follow up on how, on how all of us should be preparing for when we inevitably get the green or yellow light to open up our sites. Technical difficulties meant we lost the last 20 minutes or so of this show, but I don't think you'll be disappointed. Uh, there was a lot to learn. Uh, the amount I learned just on temperature taking was worth it. So um, with that said, enjoy the show. Rob, Doug, Jason, welcome to Mass Construction Show. Thank you, Good morning. Um, appreciate you guys finding the time to do this, uh, having conversations with everybody. Folks are scrambling. It is obviously a fluid situation, um, and everybody's struggling. Everyone's, you know, dealing with, uh, you know, potential layoffs, financial issues. Um, you know, never mind confusion about what the appropriate direction is that we should all be taking. But um, for people that are outside the market, um, Doug, would you mind just giving a quick synopsis of what's happening here in Massachusetts? Sure. So um, the local market, uh, Boston and Cambridge, uh, the, the both mayors have issued a construction moratorium essentially uh, for um, all non-essential construction work. So what that's done in the local market is basically put a stop to all of our construction projects in Boston and Cambridge that are considered non-essential. The, um, there is a, a list that was issued of essential work that, that can um, still remain active. So there are some projects you may see still active in Boston and Cambridge that have gotten the exception that are considered essential, whether it's healthcare or a federal project or something of that nature. Um, but that's the, the local market, the state market um, you know, the governor basically has issued some guidelines, but they have remained construction open across the state outside of those two local markets. Okay. Yeah. So we're having some differing, uh, jurisdictional issues about what can be, um, what work can proceed, but for the most part, it seems like to some degree, some means of residential construction can continue state healthcare utility stuff that's deemed essential or life safety systems, things of that nature can continue to work, but um, throwing a rough number at it, what, 80 to 90% of construction has stopped? Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, it's, it's 90 for us. Yeah. yeah we uh, fall in that 70 to 80%. Yeah, we're, majority of our work is outside the city, so uh, we have had, we're probably more around the, the 50 percentage range on our current workload. Yeah. And you have a fair residential component, which falls under that, right, as well. Yeah. And some healthcare as well. Yeah. Yeah. So from the three different perspectives we have here, um, what for the jobs that you do have currently running, you know, what are the precautions that you either need to put in place or that you have put in place like rob what do you what are you doing on your sites so the projects that we have running 
uh, now uh, across the board, uh, we have uh, a pretty, pretty detailed COVID plan on every one of our projects. Each job has a site-specific um, COVID plan. Uh, and included, inclusive of that is a screening process for all the workers. Um, we have uh, two different types of jobs, that how we screen people. One is on jobs where we're not enclosed, and the other is where we have projects that are enclosed with building envelope. Um, and currently on the ones that are enclosed, we have um, nurses who are on site every morning uh, for the start of work, and they screen everybody that's coming through uh, taking temperatures and uh, answering the questions uh, and monitoring, managing that process. Um, and on the other sites, uh, our project teams are are assisting with these foreman doing screenings. Um, that gets folks on the job. Uh, and then obviously we're monitoring uh, folks throughout the day on their, just how they're feeling and their conditions. Um, we have hand wash stations set up on every job uh, so that, that workers can can keep their hygiene up throughout the day. Um, we have uh, a social distancing policy on each job. That's That's been tough uh, at the beginning uh, because part of that is face masks and, and we're working through that. Part of that has been limiting what activities can actually take place. Uh, if subs can't um, provide the proper PPE or we can't get the proper PPE, uh, it, it, it does limit the amount of uh, the type of work that can take place in some cases. Um, we have laborers on site uh, disinfecting and cleaning throughout the day on every one of our projects. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the PPE is, is another uh, big item. Carpooling, we are monitoring carpooling on every project. Uh, we've, you know, learned through this process. Um, and we now have check stations at some jobs, um, managing where people can, can park, can't park, so we can better uh, manage that process. And um, we're also starting to implement a uh, hard hat sticker program so we know that people have gone through the uh, screening process um, because, you know, workers might show up throughout the day and so forth. So it gives us the ability to identify workers that may not have been screened, at least through our process in the morning. So we're we're looking at that uh, now as well. I like that. Um, so the hard hat sticker says that they've been through the initial kind of onboarding? Correct, yeah. So everybody's, we're doing the, the initial pre-start self-certification process on every job. Um, and on the ones where we need the temperature checks, on the bigger jobs where we need the temperature checks where it's harder to, to manage who's coming and going throughout the day, uh, we're, gonna, we're implementing the sticker program so that our superintendents and, and everybody on site really, because it's everybody, um, can identify if everybody has the right number on for that day. And if they don't, we can, um, manage that. Uh, oh, so that's a daily stick. Correct. It's going to be an everyday during the check-in process at the, at the tents. It'll be an everyday uh, item on the bigger jobs. Okay. Can I ask a couple of um, more detailed questions? And it doesn't have to be Rob. It can be anybody that wants to field these. But because um, these are some of the questions, actually. So I posted on Instagram, and a few questions came <laughs> in. Um, a number of them were around PPE. And you just mentioned, like, if there's not particular PPE, that means you can't do the work, right? Um, how are you guys handling who's responsible for PPE? And I think it's less, yeah, there's a cost element to that because the way the project was bought did not involve this layer of protection. 
But then there's also just the logistics of getting access to PPE. So there was a few people that asked questions around PPE. How are you, how are you guys going about managing that uh, process? And then I want to follow up with something on the temperature, but let's stay with PPE for now. How are you guys handling that? I mean, I, I can start. So from a, from a global standpoint, we have the backing of the, the, the corporate element too, which helps us because we can buy in mass power, but we're trying to secure and procure PPE at, at large quantities, um, one for our employees and, uh, and two, you know, we, we are requiring that our trade partners on site, they have to provide their own PPE and they are having um, some issues with getting that right now. They have a limited stock still in-house that they have. Um, so we have helped out uh, in that realm as we can, um, as much as we can, I should say, to, to keep them going with the proper PPE. But, um, you know, right now the, the, the issue we're seeing with the PPE, and I don't want to get off totally off conversation with the question, but is, is exactly what is going to be required within that six-foot social distancing. There's many different guidelines out there from CDC to you know, local municipality to even our own, you know, we're, we're trying to create a corporate um, program that if you have to get within six feet of somebody, what is the correct PPE to wear? So that that's a whole nother issue that is being addressed, not only with the availability of it, but w what indeed is the right stuff? Mm. Jason? Or, sorry. Well, first, I, I just realized why uh, none of the rest of us can get PPE. It's because Turner's... Turner. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, we're making do. It's a similar circumstance. We're having trouble finding respiratory protection really in any form. Same thing with our subcontractors. But I'm actually surprised at how many um, individuals, how many subs have found a way to find a mask. Uh, and I'll give you an example. We we have one project in Quincy where it's it really is challenging to maintain consistently that social distancing. So we had at first initiated the state guidelines for PPE, where if you did have to do work within that six foot distance that you were required to have the safety glasses, the gloves and the, and the face mask, and the face mask has been that limiting factor. Um, so it was it was difficult to maintain that. You think about people in a hallway or working in a smaller room, it's, a, it's an apartment building, a high rise. Uh, the superintendent and the safety manager on that project um, went ahead and and made the decision to require full-time masks on the project, full-time PPE. And when we did that, um, we saw an increase in people finding the PPE that they needed to come to work. Mm. And it's not always an N95 mask. It, it could be um, a neck gaiter with something over it or mm. something in line with the CDC guidelines. But Yeah, that was my next question. You guys yeah. are finding that acceptable? At, at this point, uh, we are. I mean, the CDC has provided some guidelines on what they're recommending for or that they, it was acceptable and how to make uh, face masks. And um, so, you know, the the one thing that's been difficult and one thing that we need to all you know continue to, to remember is that, you know, this is this is a precautionary measure to help the spread of droplets and other secretions if somebody sneezes, coughs, whatever. Um, so, you know, I think whatever means people can, can do to, to help prevent that spread, um, is what we're, where we all are. Uh, we've also provided all of our teams with face shields for their hard hats 
uh, in addition to, um, so that they can flip them up if you know if they're just walking around. But if they need to get close to somebody, they have the face mask and the face shield um, if needed. Um, so I think it, it's a time that everybody needs to get a little bit creative. Uh, there are there's a lot of guidance now out there on how to make cloth masks and, and things that weren't out there at the very beginning of this. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know I think it's just something that. The, the sub and, and everybody really just needs to get um, creative on how they can make them and or find them. We've, you know, there are a lot of companies out there that have changed their manufacturing process now to help do cloth masks and, and other things. So um, there are some new ways out there or new guidance on it. And we just, everybody just needs to be on the same page with enforcing that at the job site level, having proactive meetings uh, with, with a sub, you know, big issues, not big issues, but big tasks like concrete pours. Inherently, you will have many people in that scenario right next to each other, pouring the concrete and finishing the concrete. And those guys are, are ones that typically come and go on the job. So it's it's really leading to a lot of proactive discussion and making sure these subs are ready to go so you don't have to turn away a concrete pour and you're ready for it. Can I um, go back to temperature screening? So for folks that don't know, um, guidelines have been if it's an enclosed building or if it's in a confined space, um, you need to do temperature screening. And I believe the language is that it has to be either a healthcare professional, nurse, or someone trained, right? Correct. What is some mechanism you're seeing for training folks? And are you are is everybody here? doing temperature screening if it's an enclosed building? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, we're, we're doing it on any project right now, um, whether enclosed or not. So. Mm-hmm. And then how are you finding, um, like, what's the mechanism to get somebody trained? Like, let's say there's a smaller company out there and they're like, how do I get my COVID sa- safety officer trained or whatever the term they're using? So, you know, one of the, and we haven't, one of the thoughts is, we're lucky right now. We have the availability to have um, our wellness professionals on site do the training for the projects that are still active today. But what our thoughts are is that we're going to have we're going to hire a, a wellness provider to come on site and train the designated individual or individuals on the project with the instrument and how to properly do it and what the protocols of the procedure are that your company is going to have to 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 screen to. Anybody else going different routes or? So we we're mostly with uh, with a um, nursing company um, that has been able to provide uh, trained staff on all of our projects that we're doing it on currently. Uh, we do have, I believe, two jobs where we've trained um, on-site staff to do it, how to use a thermometer properly, the questions to ask, uh, what happens if somebody does read high or doesn't answer, you know, fails to answer a question um, or flat out refuses to answer the question or get temperature checks. And, you know, so what do you do in each one of those different scenarios? And it, it's easy, you know, they, they can't come on site, but it's that individual has to understand each one of those different levels of, of engagement with the, with the workers on site, including themselves. You know, every one of our staff are self-certifying uh, and or taking temperature checks as well in the morning. So it's everybody. It's not just the workers, it's everybody coming on site, visitors, everybody. Yeah. Yeah. And is this something that someone could relatively easily find somebody online that could do the training for them? 
I mean, I think you could. Possibly. I think you could do the training in house if 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 you wanted. I, yeah. mean, I don't think the training is terribly complicated, Joe. I think if you have uh, a person on site that you know, or in in, in a department, uh, could probably you could probably handle that training in house if you. I mean, you guys agree disagree with that or? Well, we had a little bit of a different circumstance. So in the first couple of days while we were gearing up for this um, and we were having trouble finding a medical professional, either a a nurse or um, an LPN or something like that. So we we ended up going to some of the EMT companies. So we're using EMTs on our jobs to take temperatures. And and what we found is that the EMTs are are really much more knowledgeable about even taking a temperature. So the first couple of days where we had our trained individuals, and we actually went to a local doctor's office, and I think these guys on the on the line here know which doctor I'm talking about. And we had that doctor's office train us to take temperatures. But even even with that, there were certain um, conditions that we really didn't understand as construction professionals, safety professionals. Um, and there's an acclimation period between the person who's getting their temperature taken and the, the unit that you're actually using. There's a variance in temperature with somebody who's wearing a hard hat or a ball cap. There's some uh, temperature variance with somebody coming in out of the cold and immediately getting their their temperature taken. And we didn't we didn't understand why we were getting varied readings in that those first couple of days. And we're finding that the medical professional, the EMT in our case, um, has the ability to to make that judgment call pretty quickly. They understand it um, much more than we do. We're construction people. <laughs> no, yeah, Jason. I would say we, we, we've run into the same exact thing because, um, again, if we're social distancing, everybody's standing outside waiting to come in. You know, all of our, you know, the, the t- testing is going to be done outside the building, you know, those types of things. So that was definitely a learning curve for us in the first uh, couple of days of this. But I would I would agree with you that our, our nursing staff are the ones that said, hey, this is why this is happening. And they were able to say, hey, go stand over here for another five minutes. Let's redo it just to make sure and verify. Um, one thing that we learned. You know, all these thermometers have a different working temperature range in terms of the ambient temperature that needs to be in. So, again, that's another you know bit of information that you need to know. And so we have heat in all of our tents and, and things like that to help acclimate and, and make it all work smoothly. Again, a bit of a learning curve at the beginning. Okay. But there's not a, like, because to me, and I probably should have done homework prior to this call, but um, yeah, uh, there's no... Um, <laughs> Like, is there a certifying body like or, or just can be like, oh, hey, that I got a doctor that lives the next street over from me. Can I have him train me how to use a thermometer? I mean, like, um, the, to my knowledge, there's, you know, again, we're not training a medical professional here when we do the temperature training screening, yeah. um, you know, and again, if you can rely on a, a medical professional, great nurse, EMT, that that's wonderful. But again, the, the, the training I'm not aware of currently a regulation or certification that will certify you to be a licensed or certified temperature taker. Um, yeah. You know, but, but again, it, the, the guide, the guidelines are a little loose right now with that. Um, mm-hmm. Whether they, you know, strict those up a little bit, it'll, it'll, we'll have to wait to see. But um, I, I think the route that Jason took with going to a medical, uh, a doctor or a medical provider and do the training it, it, at the, at the, least case is is the best scenario you know or or the, the least the, the minimal bar you should set and get them trained by a professional if you can't have a medical uh, professional take it on your site for sure yeah. okay. and, and again the, the training really should be on your your entire process 
right? So the thermometer, the questions to be asked, what happens in the various scenarios that somebody is going through the self-certification process. It really needs to be the, the entire thing. Again, it's not very lengthy, but they need to understand what happens in each various scenario. Uh, and then how do you track that? What do you do with the folks that, that don't pass the certification? You need to have a process to monitor that as well. Mm. And you, you know, and there's, there's questions to be had too. So if you're, if you're not working today and you're wondering what to do to get started back up and some of the, you know, the pitfalls, the biggest pitfall I think right now that you're going to run into and Jason and Rob both touched on it is that acclimatization to the temperature. Um, that's been our biggest variance in temperature scans all three of us have seen it. Um, whether you set up a tent on site, whether you acclimatize everyone to an exterior temperature, but getting everyone acclimatized for 10 minutes prior to them taking the temperature is a huge deal because you want to set, you want to make sure the range is set and they're not coming in from their car at 90 degrees or running over from the parking lot or having a hot cup of coffee. Even we've noticed that uh, has raised temperatures. So really, to to set the level of expectations to come in. Um, beforehand and, and, and take a few minutes to get everyone on, on the on the same bar is, is has been huge. Okay. No, I mean that's really helpful, especially to the for the smaller folks. And I don't mean to harp so much on the the temperature piece, but I can really see. I know some of the folks that I work with, uh, you know, that that aren't bigger like you guys and don't have a, a you know professionals like yourselves. You know, I could see me talking with them and telling them they need to start taking a temperature or have somebody trained and their first question is going to be, well, how, how, where do I do that? So I know it seems like I'm pushing you guys a little bit on it, but I think it'd be a big service to a lot of folks that are listening and, um, you know, do hope to get back to work. And even if it's not in the moment, I think, um, you know, we're, we're certainly heading to a place that, um, I don't think is a complete green light and then everybody back to normal, right? I think this is going to be somewhat of a, a phasing, if, if uh, you could all agree on that, I think. I'm going to yeah. plug for the listeners. Dr. John Barres at OCMED CIC. He's been phenomenal. And I think I think Doug and, and uh, Robert agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah he's Change. always been great. So, so Joe, Sorry, just God. one, yeah, the, the backside to the screenings, if somebody does get, sick or is ill or showing symptoms or whatever the governor has a guidelines on you know how what they need to come back the cdc also has guidelines for employers on how to help get workers back after they have been confirmed or are, are out so it's it's really doing the screening is, is you know is one part of it but then there's a whole part that the criteria to bring somebody back to work if they are asked to go home or they're sick or whatever so that's something that everybody needs to be paying attention to as well. They can't just come back the next day. Even if today their temperature is one thing, tomorrow's a different, it, it starts today with the, with that temperature and that's what sets their uh, return to work protocol. So everybody's gonna have that, have an understanding in-house on how that's gonna happen. From from us who we, you know, we subcontract everything out, it's communications with the subs, making sure they're doing it. So it's it, it really, it's a full circle thing that that everybody needs to be paying attention to. Yeah, no, that, that's great. And you, you know what? Um, so, God, I must have a dozen hours into the thing so far. I'm working on putting together kind of a universal plan because what's been happening is the different municipalities are putting different requirements. Like Cambridge wants a 
daily report sent to them. Brookline has guidelines around food trucks associated on a job site. I mean, not food trucks, like coffee trucks, right? Roach coaches. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and then the state has their guidelines. So I've been cross-referencing them all to try and house everything in one spot. So it might be overkill for some towns, but at least you know everything. And then like Somerville wants certain AHJs on, no, I'm getting JHAs. I get AHJ, job has an analysis, system, yeah. right? Um, so I'm trying to cross-reference them all and put them into one document. Maybe I can share what I've done collectively with you guys. And um, if you've got input, let's add it. And then I could even share it on massconstruction.org. So if people want to go there and look at it and say, hey, these are the practices that are, you know, potentially good options. So. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, any other things? I mean, I heard Rob talk about the stickers which was great, um, monitoring carpooling. Any other things you guys are doing beyond the guidelines on your sites? I mean, you know, we, we've, we've started to set up, you know, wash stations at more frequent intervals on our high-rise buildings throughout the floors, um, which has helped out because, you know, e- each of these items you're going to have in your site plans play an important part. Um, it's important to temperature screen. But the temperature screening, you know, won't help against asymptomatic people. Um, so it's important to, you know, CDC says right now, the, the, the two most important things are keep your distance and wash your hands. You know, and when you can't keep your distance, you have to wear the proper PPE. Um, so the temperature screen does help. Um, but each component of the plan is important, whether it's providing the proper wash stations, providing a plan to um, spread out huddles or break areas or um, even office space for your staff. Um, and then the temperature screen is important to, to try to, you know, prevent uh, someone with a high temperature coming into your projects. So all, all these things um, do play an important role in it. Um, for us, you know, our, our mitigation plan, we, we have a site plan that goes over the mitigation piece, which identifies the sanitization, the personal hygiene, the self-certifying <clears throat> the temperature screen. We have uh, the, the screening process. Um, we have our education piece, which is, you know, when, when we come on back on the site, how are we going to relay the information to all these workers that come back? Mm. So that, that's important to us. And then we have our response piece that Rob stated earlier, that if someone does have signs or symptoms, what, what is your plan to, to do? And that's just as important because if someone isn't feeling well or they self-certify to you or they have a high temperature or they're, you know, worst case test positive, how do you handle that on the job site? How do you handle his confidentiality? How do you um, be transparent to the project? How do you be transparent to the people that he may have been in close contact with? So those are all components of your program that you need to think about um, before you really ramp back up full speed. Yeah, great point. So we're talking stickers, um, additional hand washing stations, maybe hot water if you can. Anything on your end, Jason, that's kind of not just following the regular protocol or? Yeah, I have a couple. The first is a, a simple one. Um, on our larger projects, the, the larger projects that remain open, we're using a, a fogging agent. Um, the the name escapes me right now, but it's, it's a disinfectant that is sprayed over every square inch of the project. And it's actually impressive at 
the, the company that we're using, how much they can cover in a shift. So we'll bring them in at night twice a week in our projects and spray all the entire building. And think about one is a 16 story building and another is um, almost a, a million square feet of office space, plus the trailers, uh, plus the Connex boxes, uh, job boxes within the site itself that subs choose to leave open, they can spray down the tools. So it's, um, we're not entirely sure at this point how effective it is, but it is a disinfectant that is known to uh, are proven to kill the coronavirus. Um, what we're not completely certain on is how how long that contact time lasts. Um, we're, we're told it can vary anyway from anywhere from a couple of days to a couple of weeks. So, um, but there's also a perception issue there too. Is that we're, you know, we're disinfecting all of the horizontal surfaces on the project, mm -hmm. and it, it, I think it does provide some at least uh, relief and perception to the tradespeople that are on the jobs and the staff. Great. Yeah, and I, yeah, and I would agree. That's uh, I think for those who are are thinking about, you know, what are they doing when they come back to work, is you need to have these companies on the ready, because you're shutting jobs down. You need to get them cleaned. You know, uh, otherwise you're going to have, you, you know, you're going to experience more shutdown time. Um, so you got to be ready as, as a response protocol. You have to have these guys uh, vet them out. You know, have conversations. I would highly suggest having two or three in your back pocket because uh, everybody's using all of these same people and there's only so many of them. So make sure you vet them and you're comfortable with them and uh, you understand their process. So when you get asked the question, you know, you, you know, you can ex explain exactly what they're doing. Yeah. There's going to be a rush presumably shortly. Yeah. You said two things, Jason. So you said the fogging agent, what was the other one? The other one I think is something that um, I think that everybody's doing uh, but really get highlighted. And it's been a, a really, really major effort, especially on a couple of jobs that we're at kind of a, a critical stage. The, the coordination of trades, it, we've had to, in a couple of cases, revamp our entire schedule to accommodate, um, we'll call it social distancing, but it's to spread the trades out through the different floors. And, and that is not an easy effort. And it's much easier for me to say it than it is to do it. But on a typical floor or, or a building where you have trades that run down from um, rough into uh, you know, rough framing into the MEP rough and into the finishes, um, trades can get stacked up very easily and there's always, always comeback work. So we've had to, on a couple of jobs in particular, really, really had to spend a, a ton of time <laughs> redoing the schedule. It's not just shaking people around to different floors. It's actually redoing the schedule so that we maintain that critical path. And that it's a, it's, it's a challenge. That's a good point. We've lost a couple of trades, Joe. That, that is something to at least touch on we've lost a couple of trades um, in, in our case because of um, uh, we'll call it the, the trade organization asking their members to stay home. Um, mm -hmm. We've had to reshuffle the, the deck to keep the other trades working. So it's a challenge. That's a good point. And it's almost a good segue because, you know, we're talking about in the moment right now that that's happening um, and how you're dealing with juggling the schedule and changing maybe even the flow, the rotation about how many trades are on a floor at the same time, or the, the electricians and the plumber roughing in at the same time. Maybe that can't happen anymore. Exactly. Things like that. Um, so how do you guys see when this, when we eventually get the green light, the yellow light, whatever it is, but there's, there's going to become a time where we are going back to work 
in some capacity, right? Um, what do you guys envision that looking like? I, I think before you even get the green light, Joe, you want to you wanna have companies think about, you know, hopefully we, we've done a good job of reaching out to our trade partners to start back up and say, here are the things that are going to be different. Here's the new normal. And here are the changes you're going to see on site in requirements from PPE to work practices like Jason just described to scheduling. So hopefully they're taking the downtime, the pause now to straighten that out, to, to ease the burden of day one. That That's one. You know, notifying the sub, the trade partners, the subs, um, working with your municipalities right now to say, hey, here's our plans um, that we have. You know, so on day one, they're not asking what we're doing. They're already well aware of what they're doing. So there's some upfront work we should be doing now um, to prep for day one before we even get there. But um, those are just some of the things that we're thinking about, how we communicate with our subs. You know, is there a financial impact to some of the things we're asking? What plans are we looking for? How do we, um, you know, look at pre-task planning now and, and figure out where we're going to have social distancing um, speed bumps or constraints and, and how we're going to work around that now. The plan is it can be baked now. So day one, at least we have a, we have, a, you know, hopefully a, a jogging start, I'll, I'll call it. Okay. Yeah. And I would agree. I think one of the things that we've been talking about uh, over the last uh, couple of weeks in the revamping process of getting these jobs back up and running um, is the, uh, one of the bigger challenges that, that we see and are foreseeing is the carpooling issue. Uh, Cause a lot of, a lot of subs, that's how they get to work. And um, as of right now, at least uh, they're not supposed to be. So, um, you know, that's something that, that companies and subcontract, they really need to think about how we get the green light. If we can't, you know, how are we getting workers to work? I think that's something everybody's going to be thinking about getting creative with on avenues to do that versus the renting of the vans and, and how a lot of workers get to work now. Um, so that's, you need, everybody needs to be having those conversations with their respective subs. Um, and also the impacts, you know, the, the, the conversation with the owners needs to be, you know, open and transparent with all these different challenges and schedule impacts, cost impacts and, and so forth as well. Yeah, I guess um, even put your risk managers hats on because I mean, a lot of people will reflexively are still stuck in the old way of like, oh, well, they're, that's the safety guy or the term that I hate, the safety officer or whatever, right? Um, you guys are really risk managers. So we've started to allude already to schedule logistics of moving people, getting them to work. But what do you guys see as some of the other non-safety risks out there? Hmm. I think perception of the wor workforce. I think the tradesmen and women coming on site, what are they coming back to? How, how are you transparent with them on day one that you, you know, you're providing the, the, the healthiest and safest you know, um, project you can for them? And, and part of that is being transparent. How do you onboard them back on site? You know, we talked about staggered starts for our trades. You know, we have jobs with six, 700, 800 people on it. Day one is not going to have 800 people on it. He's just bragging right now. <laughs> <laughs> if, I, if I recall, you spent a good amount of your time there, my friend. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, no, but I mean, seriously, though, I mean, it, it's it's you're not going to start day one with eight with a full with a full schedule. And it goes back to Jason's point about staggering shifts, shift work, 
how do you onboard them and, and how do you be transparent to assure our tradespeople that in our employees and our clients and even the municipalities that these are the things we're doing and, and here's why we think they're going to work and and uh, I think that's going to be a challenge I do so so one thing we've done uh, to help combat that because that's a real issue even even on the jobs that we have currently working you know there's a worry out there and for for obvious reasons so every day our project management staff and our teams they send uh, daily communications to everybody on the project all the subs all the owners with you know what happened in the day were there any reports of anything you know did anything happen um what did we do for cleaning that day you know all of those things we're, we're communicating that on a daily basis at least a daily basis to everybody that's involved with that particular project and it's it's been received with some good feedback um and response from the subs they appreciate it they just want to know uh that everybody is doing everything they can to keep their workers safe our work our employees safe visitors you know everything so Hmm. No, it's a good idea. I had a couple of other things. Um, it, it's been talked about quite a bit. So the, the first one that I have, when we start back up, um, we, we know that there's going to be a, a huge demand for materials, any materials. I don't know what it is, right? Doors and hardware, drywall, mm -hmm. anything. And that every construction company in Massachusetts is going to be look, looking to get back at the same time. Uh, and not all of us have that the buying power of other contractors, Doug. So it, it's a concern to us that we're going to start to ramp back up and then come to a reaching halt with certain trades that could be part of the critical path if we cannot get material. So to, to Doug and Rob's point about prepping the contractors to make that, that jump now for planning, whatever the day is that we come back, May 4th, August 4th, it, it doesn't, whatever that date is, plan for it now that we're going to need materials to go along with the personnel. So that's a concern. Um, the second is the in, and fall right behind it. The, the inefficiencies associated with a lot of the changes that we're we're going to see. Um, we know that we are taking up time, and that time is money. Even doing something as simple as a temperature screening, and if you multiply that, but uh, behind having to reassemble or rejog that schedule to create the social distancing, what kind of inefficiencies is that going to create? And this is there a financial risk with that? And the last one and the biggest one, and this one really, really worries me, is that when we hear that that starting pistol, uh, a lot of owners, we think, are going to say, um, can you make that date? Can you make the same date that you had a month and a half or two months ago? Uh, can you make that happen? And it, it, this ties into the safety directly, right? But also the burden on, on staff and subs. We know that when we crunch a schedule, um, we are putting ourselves in a lot of financial risk and a lot of safety risk. Um, it it's just makes for a very, very difficult uh, environment. And that's quite honestly my biggest concern when we get back going. Jason, yeah. not to add, because it's a great point, you know, they're going to come back and we're going to be so focused on the health of our, our people. You know, we can't let the safety, the occupational safety piece of that slip because they're going to come back and we're going to, be transparent with all, all the healthy things we're doing for them. But to your point, like the, the safety, we're back full bore now and we work in a dangerous industry and we need to make sure the safeguards are provided and the actual occupational piece of the safety is being provided as well. And that uh, people aren't being so, uh, I'll call it um, 
overwhelmed with the COVID issues that they're letting their own personal safety uh, guard down as they're working on the projects. Yeah, Rob, yeah. actually, um, you know, Rob and I have had the discussion and we kind of floated it. Um, you know, Rob, what, what are you almost seeing in the marketplace even now where people are, there's a hierarchy of, of concerns, right? And right now, everybody's hierarchy is disease, yeah. right? Yeah. So what's what's happening here? What's slipping? So, so the, the level of distraction, you know, we always talk about distraction, cell phones and other things that are distracting people that we have plans and protocols and things in place to help address on jobs. The number one distraction that we see right now is obviously COVID-19. And it's it's literally taking over everybody's you know, day-to-day -day thoughts on the jobs. And, um, you know, it's, you got to have strategies and, and discussions and, and engaging conversations with the workers to make sure that they're, they're focused on the task because all the high-risk tasks that, that Doug just alluded to, those are all still happening today. Crane activities and, you know, facade work and roofing work and confined space, all that stuff is still happening. And so with that also goes, you know, we're so focused on, PPE to comply with COVID-19 order, right? Face masks, gloves, and safety glasses. But that doesn't address nearly 90% of all the other PPE that, that workers are wearing and, and other safety protocols in our, our, our standard JHA process with looking at the hierarchy of controls on how to eliminate control and, and manage hazards on a day-to-day -day basis like we would on any other day. Um, so I want to make sure that people are focused still on assessing their tasks that they're doing for the hazards that their workers are actually exposed to. And they just have to they have to bring in this the COVID-19 uh, information. But you still have other hazards that you need to address. And that does the PPE that we're using for COVID-19 may not be the right PPE to protect a worker. So the level of respiratory protection, the type of glove. I think the type of gloves, when they when it was let out that we need cut-resistant gloves, well, cut-resistant gloves don't protect against chemical hazards, right? So there's a million different gloves for a million different hazards. So we, we still have to be doing our assessments that we're, we should be doing, we're obligated to do, and, and make sure that that's communicated to the workers as well because everybody's so focused that we're, we're you know, the industry's starting to forget about the day-to-day -day normal routine stuff that we, we were doing two months ago. Hey, MassCons. Guys were great. Um, you know, in the moment, I, you know, I feel like I'm swamped right now between trying to uh, do paperwork to keep myself up and running and produce content and do work to get myself paid. Um, but I think this is really important that we continue to share this information because um, a lot of people, a number of people in a lot worse shape than I am. So probably shouldn't be crying, but um, I appreciate any input you guys have on what you thought about this show. Are there things that you're doing on your sites that would be helpful? Um, and is there anything you as a listener could do to help spread the word here. Um, I would love to see this podcast grow. Um, I'm willing to put all the time in, uh, willing to put more time in and hopefully help make myself and everybody, including you that's listening today to become better at what you do. 
So I appreciate you listening. I appreciate you sharing. I appreciate you liking, telling a friend, whatever way you feel is right. Um, but it's much appreciated. And thanks for listening. We out. We out. We out.